0: Welcome disciple makers and thank you for joining us. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board Discipleship Team, led by Scott Sullivan, exists to help churches take the next step toward becoming a healthy disciple-making church. We've developed tools to help you, like the Watershed Principle, which identifies 6 main ministries needed to be a healthy church. The Spark Conference, a total church strengthening event that allows you to access keynotes and breakouts all year long for ongoing training in your ministry area. Access it today at thesparkconference.com. We're also setting up learning communities across Georgia to sharpen, encourage, and resource leaders personally and professionally. Find a community near you at gabaptist.org discipleship. Don't forget, you can find our previous episodes on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and your favorite podcast platform. Now let's join today's broadcast.
1: Thank you for engaging, and if you are new, welcome to our Georgia Baptist Discipleship Family. You've picked a home-run episode to listen in as we have Dr. Mark Hearn with us today. Mark is the pastor at First Baptist Duluth, Georgia. A pastor is a truly fascinating church. He has a master's degree from Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, has a doctorate from Luther Rice, And Dr. Hearn is the author of Technicolor, Inspiring Your Church to Embrace Multiculturalism, and his newest book, Hearing in Technicolor, Mindset Shifts Within a Multicultural Congregation. Honestly, if there was a top 10 list of issues that the local church is dealing with and must deal with quickly, this topic of diversity and multiculturalism is within the church, it either is or will be in your top three. Uh, coming up quickly. Most churches are dealing with it, but very few are winning. So, so glad to have Mark with us. Mark, welcome to our Georgia Baptist Discipleship family.
2: It's an honor to be with you, Scott, and thank you for the opportunity.
1: You bet. And I'm so grateful that you all, our audience, have taken time to join in with us, and I've been looking forward to this discussion as much as any one that we have done since we started this in April 2019. Now, I want to give a reminder that our, to our audience, that our team has a jag of resources that we want to give away. So make sure that you leave a comment and you'll get entered into that drawing. As a special treat, and it's for this episode only, if you share the link, you'll get double entry into the drawing and one lucky person who shares the broadcast will get a $50 gift card. So if you missed a full discussion, don't fret. We, you can listen afterwards on YouTube, Instagram, all podcast platforms, or you can view it right here on Georgia Baptist Discipleship. Facebook group, where it will live for a really, really long time. Now, Lana Melton is the producer. Uh, actually, Ray Sullivan is our, our producer today, and he's going to make sure that we get our links in the chats for all of that that we discuss. Now, Mark, let's jump in, buddy. Um, the title for your book—I want to start right here because I've read—I've read the book, worked through it, and was truly fascinating. But I noticed that you used the word Technicolor. In the title. So so tell me why you use that. What's the background of that that word? What does it have to do with this multiculturalism issue we're talking about? And maybe even why you wrote the book?
2: Actually, I can't take a lot of credit for that. Uh, It began with the editor of my first book, Technicolor, uh, Inspiring Your Church to Embrace Multiculturalism. Um, And it came from an illustration that's in the introduction to that book. I share that uh, I had a kind of Wizard of Oz experience in moving uh, from Indianapolis, Indiana to Duluth, Georgia. Um, and as you know about the Wizard of Oz, the, uh, the story is of uh, a young girl in Kansas in the Midwest who is picked up in a whirlwind and moved to a land of Oz. And uh, the cinematic uh, uh, version of that has black and white when it's in Kansas, and when she lands in Oz, all of a sudden, there's this beautiful array of colors. And it was the beginning of a new technology for uh, cinematography called Technicolor. And uh, so I, I just said, that's exactly what happened to me. I, I left a, a pretty uh, uh, monogamous uh, 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 kind of uh, a homogenous kind of uh, uh, atmosphere in the Midwest. Uh, picked up and moved to Duluth, Georgia, and all of a sudden, I'm seeing an array of colors. Uh, Mm. When I moved into my neighborhood in Duluth, my neighbors to one side of me are South Asian, my neighbors to the other side of me are uh, Filipino, the neighbors behind me are from uh, Nigeria, neighbors across the street from me are from Puerto Rico, down at the end of the cul-de-sac, there's a three-generation family from Nigeria, and none of those people groups were in my church. And so I knew that we needed to come up with a way to strategically reach all people in order to reach my neighbors, in order to reach the city of Duluth. That's and so great. I said I had a technicolor experience, and that kind of
1: became a catchphrase for us going forward. Well, i tell you, it must be working. And, and you wrote a book. Uh, The first one was very successful and was very helpful. And then you've got the second one. What are you hoping that people, when they read the book, what are you hoping that they will get when they read Hearing in Technicolor? Well, the second
2: book, Hearing in Technicolor, as I got speaking engagements and opportunities to share our story after the first book, he would ask me about the mindset shift that had to take place in a traditional church in order for that acceptance to take place. And we're a 135-year-old church, uh, so a lot of things very steeped in tradition, very much a part of who we are uh, for generations, uh, not just years, but generations. And so how do you shift the mindsets to where that uh, we begin to embrace this technicolor uh, kind of vision? And so that has really been the, the, the impetus for the writing of both books. Uh, when I began this journey, I found practically no material out there on transitioning an existing church to a multicultural community of faith true Uh, there's stuff out there about how to plant a church and uh having that in the dna from its very start uh, uh, having a multicultural team that plants a multicultural leadership that's a part and so it's part of the dna to begin with but when you're talking about a homogenous church that's been that way for over 100 years how do you transition that church in order to embrace a multicultural community. And right. so that that's the reason behind both books, yeah. is to be able to help people to understand the journey which we've been on, which has somewhat been trial and error, but uh, uh, just to be able to share both our, our victories as well as some of our pitfalls.
1: That's great. It's a huge mindset shift. And, and it is one of those things that I'm hearing lots of our churches here in georgia but really it's it's across the globe i mean every church is dealing with how do you effectively reach the people who are in your community and i hear people say a lot mark i wish my church were more diverse i wish that we had different ethnicities attending but this process that they're talking about um, it's that's not a simple task of, of becoming that church where people really do feel welcome across the board, no matter what their uh, ethnicity or background is, and having a church that is diverse, let somebody ask you just a targeted question. Is having a diverse church your main goal?
2: Absolutely not. Uh, Our goal is to reach our community. Uh, And we felt to be effective to reach our community, we needed to become a diverse church. Uh, In in our community, The Anglo population has gone from 90% in 1990 uh, to about 42% when I came in 2010 to now about 35%. And so to reach our community, we knew that we needed to reach outside the boundaries of the majority of who was currently attending. Uh, So we needed to be able to, to find ways to cross cultural barriers and cross language barriers to effectively reach our community. So, I have people ask me that question uh, quite often. Uh, how diverse should your church be? And my answer to that is it it should reflect its community. Uh, yeah. you know uh, your church should be as diverse as your community is. if hmm. If your community is predominantly Anglo, then your church probably will be predominantly anglo. if your If your community is predominantly Hispanic, your church should probably be predominantly Hispanic. But if your community is diverse, And most, most of our metro areas throughout America are becoming increasingly diverse and majority minority. Our churches need to
1: reflect that. And I would even say this, Mark, and I'd love you to speak into this because, you know, we talk a lot about, say, the the Anglo church struggling to uh, welcome the different ethnicities into their church. But when I go to Asian church or African-American church or Hispanic church, I see the same struggle that that, even, that doesn't really matter what the predominant um, group is. It's still hard when you're predominantly one ethnicity to make the mindset shift to begin to welcome all. So the concepts that you're talking about in the book here, are they cross the board or is this or is this really speaking from just a um, hundred plus year old Anglo church making these shifts? Is this something that can help all of those different groups? Well, that's a great question, Scott, and uh,
2: I, I'll give you a, a, a living example of that. A couple of years ago, uh, I got a call from a, a gentleman who is working on his doctoral ministry at Midwestern Seminary. He picked up a copy of my book at the recommendation of a professor and uh, asked if I could come address his congregation. He is a Romanian pastor in a Romanian Baptist church in Brooklyn, New York. And he came from Romania. They recruited him and brought him from Romania to pastor a Romanian-speaking church in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, He said, we want to become a multilingual, multicultural church because if we remain only a Romanian-speaking church, we're probably one generation away from extinction. And he walked me through the streets of his church and we identified 15 people groups within a three-block radius, 15 people groups within a three-block radius. During COVID, they made an an incredibly intentional move to become a bilingual church, English and Romanian, and to reach out to those different people groups within that three-block area. He now has members From nine different nationalities in just two years, they've changed their name uh, from the Maranatha Romanian Baptist Church to Maranatha Church. And uh, all of a sudden, there's an open door to be able to minister to the community that they exist in. Hmm. So, yes, it does cross cultural barriers. It's not just uh, for Anglo churches to learn how to be diverse. It's about how the, the next generation of churches must
1: learn to be multicultural. Gosh, that is so good. Now, I want, to, I want to move to challenges here, because, you know, when we talk about reaching the Thai ethne, reaching the different people groups that are out there at First Duluth, any given Sunday, if I walk into your church, there may be 45 plus nationalities represented, not just on your role, but in the room. I mean, that is phenomenal to have that much going on, but that comes with a special set of challenges when I think about how to disciple them, how this discipleship process is gonna work from languages, curriculum, cultural issues, customs. Can you share a few of those challenges that that you've experienced at First Duluth and maybe how you guys are problem solving? Well, uh, the initial
2: uh, hurdle uh, that you have to deal with is language. And uh, uh, so we began dealing with that right, right at the very beginning of our transition. Uh, We offer live interpretation in the three uh, most common uh, non-English-speaking households in in Duluth. Uh, We offer live interpretation in Spanish, Korean, and Mandarin Chinese. Uh, The fourth largest is Vietnamese. We've been praying for a Vietnamese interpreter now for a couple of years and asking God to provide. People oftentimes ask me, where do you get your uh, uh, interpreters from? I said, we pray them into the church because... The bottom line is, we're not recruiting, we're not pray, we're not uh, paying them. Uh, we're looking for volunteers who want to buy into what we're doing, and and God has provided that. Uh, so we've got live interpretation going on. Uh, we also provide uh, the sermon notes and the bulletin in six different languages, where people can be able to have the the sermon notes in their own language group. We provide Bibles in twenty five different languages, and. There's a sign that says, if you do not own a Bible, you're welcome to keep it. If you want to borrow one for today, uh, just uh, check it out and take it back. But we are offering Bibles in 25 different languages. So we've crossed language barriers and done that uh, uh, with some degree of success. Uh, But Scott, I'll be very honest, when you say discipleship, it's really where where we are right now. We've had a score of people coming to the church from a variety of different people groups and now we're trying to figure out where do we put them in the discipleship process? And we've developed what we call a discipleship pathway, kind of a step-by-step, here's, here's uh, how you start and here's what the next step is. And we call it your next yes. We wanna challenge you, what's your next yes that you need to say. And one of the things on that discipleship pathway is uh, we teach a group we call Cross Class. Cross Class is offered three times a year, Prior to COVID, it was offered in my home. Uh, we hope next year in 2022 to once again offer it in our home. It's a six-week, uh, I call it a laboratory. It's not really a, a class as much as it is an experience. And we we ask that there be at least three different culture groups that be represented, and at least 20 years between the oldest and the youngest member. So it's cross-cultural, uh, it's cross-generational, And we're trying to be able to learn how do we how do we grow together? And it has been a wonderful thing to watch. There have been tremendous victories that have taken place because of sharing from our backgrounds and learning from each other. You know, every culture has uh, strengths and weaknesses, and we can adopt the strengths of each other's uh, of each other's culture and then be able to deal with the weaknesses of our own culture in process. I'll give you a for instance, in the Asian culture, there is a great amount of of, uh, respect for the elderly, a great amount of honor for the eldest generation, really not so in American culture anymore. And for for us to be able to adopt that and to make those that are uh, our seniors in our church feel respected and honored in special ways is a way of saying, "Okay, that's that's biblical. That's that's uh, that's something of which we're adopting from our brothers and sisters from another culture that really is a very lacking portion of our culture.
1: That is fantastic. And there's something that I keep hearing you hit on as we've talked through just these first couple of topics here in and I think it's true of First Duluth and your leadership there. And I call it future tense thinking. Like you are you are problem solving, looking down the road to try and provide Bibles because you know that people are going to come in different, um, different languages so that they can read, they can engage. And you're thinking about the discipleship and you're thinking about groups and you're trying to get this intergenerational and cross multiculturalism going on. My goodness. So folks, those of you who are, are watching or listening, I really want you to to take note of that because as a a leader in the future church, you've got to be a future tense thinker. So I'd love for those of you who are watching on our uh, Facebook group, I'd love for for you to put in the chat, what are you doing to problem solve specifically in your area for this issue of diversity and reaching the people that are in your ministry area? Now, let me move to another topic here, Mark. Uh, The process of diversity that you outline in the book also talks about how the existing members had to transition. And man, when I when I was reading through that, I just thought my immediate thoughts were going to, okay, how are the people thinking when they come into your church? Why would they come to your church? And, and when I read that, I thought, man, the transition of the mindset of existing members, older generation, to accept and embrace this must have been incredible. Can you share about that and maybe give any lessons learned? Well... Uh... The
2: most recent book is divided into three categories, and uh, uh, this is something that happened after we went through an interview process. Uh, The the second book was with a co-author, Darcy Wiley, and Darcy, uh, a longtime friend of mine from Indianapolis, uh, came and interviewed 35 different people, both inside our church and outside of our church, about the mindset shift that took place in their life in order for them to embrace this vision. And after we had conducted these interviews and began to try to compile them, uh, we divided them into three categories. One is our legacy members, those who had been members of the church for uh, in excess of 25 years. Uh, and then our language members, those whom this is the church in which is their first experience outside of their own uh, culture-centric uh, church experience, whether it's a language church or or uh, their church back home and. Uh, an, an international community, and then leaders—leaders leaders both from within our church, outside of our church, in our community, and among our denominational leaders, uh, including our state executive—was inter- interviewed. Uh, Thomas Hammond for that yeah. portion of the book. Uh, but the the situation that you're asking is those legacy members, those long tenured members, and how did they make that mindset shift? Well. Uh, it, it's a process. And sometimes it's a painful process. Uh, it, it's a matter of letting go of things that are non-essential non, uh, uh, you know, uh, and, and moving on to the things that we know are gospel-centric that we're going to be able to reach our community. And I found a lot of our senior adults in particular uh, who really desire to embrace the new vision, because they wanted their church to succeed. They wanted the mission to go forth. And they saw all these different culture groups moving to our community and said, if God is moving them here, then he must want us to impact their lives. So it was a, it was a really wonderful thing to see that mindset shift take place. Now, uh, there's painful processes in every transitional community. Uh, we saw people leave. Uh, we saw people not only leave our church, we saw people leave our community. Uh, they moved to another area where they feel more comfortable or or uh, there, there's a, a greater concentration of people like me. Uh, but what we really concentrated on was that not only the people that were staying, but the people that were coming and how that we, we are here with purpose uh, to be able to reach those people.
1: That's great. And the second part of the book you write that typically a multicultural church is one that has at least 20% from non-majority culture. And most of them are gonna be second and third generation immigrants. But I, what I find interesting as I read the book and as I've been to First Duluth several times is that many of the people who are at First Duluth are members that are first generation immigrants. Now, so that that brings something to my mind. Can you give us some insight on their perspective? And like one of the things I think of what would motivate a first and second generation immigrant to join American Church?
2: Well, I, I've asked that question uh, myself, <laughs> and uh, I, I I will tell you that in this year in uh, 2021, 80 percent of our new members have been of of international birth. So 20 uh, percent uh, born in the United States. 80 percent of our new members this year. Uh, born outside the United States, incredible. Uh, and they come—they come from about 17 different countries, just this year, just in yeah. in this in this year. And matter of fact, when the first book came out in 2017, for the first time in the 130-year history of the church, 50% of our new members were international-born outside the United States. And every year since then, that number has escalated. But really, I think with COVID. It ex- it escalated exponentially because we began having even more international guest visitors in our worship services every single Sunday. Wow! So That's... I've asked the question: We we have people that speak no English who come to our church, uh, and I've I've oftentimes said Google is our best friend uh, because oftentimes they'll Google multicultural church, or uh, and all of a sudden we pop up or my book pops up. And, and so uh, they come and give us a, a look-see. Uh, but I've asked the question, if, if, if someone is not speaking any English, but yet comes here, what is it that attracts them here? And they said, it, it, well, one of the things that attracts them is the fact that they are welcomed here. They, they are sought because we're, we are making accommodations to be able to, to meet their needs. You know, most churches deal with assimilation. Assimilation is if you become like us, you can become Mm -hmm. one of us. Accommodation is when uh, we say, uh, you know, I'm willing to find out more about you so that I can meet your needs where you are. So we're accommodating people. And because we're accommodating, people are are, are being drawn to it. And then the second thing is what I call the intangible of just God's spirit drawing people. Uh, I've had people tell me we sense God's presence when we walk in this place. And that's that's incredible. I tell our staff all the time, let's not mess this up. Uh, you know, let's not mess up that if God is God is present, God's drawing people, let, let's not do anything to try to program or try to, try to do anything other than just be able to be open to God's spirit as he draws people.
1: Gosh, I want to highlight something real quick, Mark, before I forget it, because I want to make sure that our audience does not miss the nugget that you just dropped. I'm just telling you that was worth the price of admission. The difference between assimilation and accommodation. Assimilation, I think you said was becoming like us and accommodation is that we're making um, accommodations so that you can come be a part of us and we'll meet you where you are my gosh that is so good and here's what i've learned people remember a little of what you say but a lot about how you made them feel right and i believe you guys are doing that mark like you're 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 doing different songs in different languages from the stage your stage has ethnic diversity on there i mean you're putting the bibles in different language like you're doing all of those things right but but if you don't love people in the midst of all of that and care for them and help them to feel welcome, none of that other matters. Like I told a guy the other day, you can have a big sign on the side of your church that says, welcome, or you belong, or come come, be a part of us, you know, on the big sign. But if their experience inside the walls is not positive and warm and loving and embracing, it doesn't matter what you got on the outside of that building. So my goodness, just wanted to highlight that real quick. Now, let me go to the third part of the book. It gives the perspective of the church leaders, community leaders, not denominational leaders, and then you talk about some different uh, lessons learned and pathways to change. Can you just briefly, I know we don't have two hours to unpack all nine of those, but could you could you work through those briefly for us?
2: Yeah, as I shared with you, we, we didn't outline the book until after we'd already done all the interviews, and it was incredible to be able to see uh, uh, the, the similarity of paths as how that uh, – uh, people came to decisions or came to conclusions uh, based upon their experience. Uh, but one, I, you have to see the vision. Uh, if you don't see it before you see it, you'll never see it. Uh, uh, I, uh, I've always heard th- that about vision, that you, you've got to be able to see the vision and see the vision of reaching your community and and, and what that would look like and how that would uh, change the dynamic of, of ministry Uh, within your fellowship and then you got to be willing to pay the cost Um, uh, there 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 there's a cost to be paid uh, and I've I think I've shared in the book uh, uh, a real multicultural leader needs to have the height of a rhinoceros and the heart of a dove you you need to love uh, ultimately uh, but you need to be able to 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 be able to take some some real uh, grief and and uh, where people are are you know upset or Uh, because all of a sudden their their life has changed their their lifestyle has changed Uh, you know when we talk about changing our worship style uh, there were worship wars back in the 80s and 90s over uh, contemporary music versus traditional music well we're a whole new dynamic Uh, we're singing we're singing multilingual songs in worship Uh, so we're singing in, in languages that that you know, not everyone in the room speaks, but we're doing so because we're accommodating and bringing people into a multicultural worship experience. And I really think that that's what heaven's going to be like. Only we're going to understand all those different languages when we get to heaven. Hmm. So, uh, uh, yeah, for leadership, uh, it, it's a it's a pathway uh, that uh, as you begin it, uh, you can begin it with fervency, but you got to stick with it. You got to you got to hang in there. And that's why, you know, I want to be a coach. I want to be a, a, a cheerleader. Anytime anyone tells me they're pursuing a multicultural model of ministry, uh, I'll come alongside them and, and do anything I can to encourage them and fan the flame, because I know how many times I needed that in my life mm-hmm. during these last 11 years and the journey we've been on.
1: That's great. And we've built some learning communities throughout the state, and that's really what they're for talking about these best practices so that they can flame, um, fan the flame that each of us are dealing with. We get wins, we celebrate them, but we can encourage one another. And uh, we'll drop some links to that as well. Um, any other final thoughts, Mark, that you would share with our audience? Uh,
2: just that uh, find people whom you can uh, uh, collaborate with and, and occasionally commiserate with as a part of that process. I love what you're doing, Scott. I love, love providing those communities, uh, but uh, uh, don't try to go it alone.
1: Mm-hmm. And then
2: uh, I I tried to find people that were a little further down the pathway than I, and to be able to coach me and help me in process. And to be quite honest with you, I had to step outside Southern Baptist circles in order to find those people. Yeah. So what I wanna do is I wanna be a, a real available coach for people especially within our denominational structure, because I understand you. I've been been a Southern Baptist pastor for 41 years. I understand what it's like. Yeah. Uh, I understand the transitions that take place a little slower, possibly in our denomination than some others. So, uh, uh, but find find someone to be able to
1: to coach you and coax you on the path. That's good. And I tell people often, I've got a board of directors for my life. There's six people on it and they don't know they're on it. That's right. Yeah. Good. I'm, I'm studying them. I'm, I'll, I'll call them. I'll take them to lunch. I ask questions um, because I know that I don't have all the tools that I need. Now, where can people get in touch with you, Mark? Um, tell us about you know the books, where they can find that. I'd love for you to take a moment, and I think you're going to pop up a slide here just to tell us about the Technicolor Conference that's coming in 2022, which uh, I think is going to be standing room only because this issue is so fantastic they're just going to sell out can you give us a little heads up on that
2: first of all you can get the books at uh, lifeway.com uh, or amazon.com are the best places to get them uh, i we have them available here at the church but to be honest with you you can get them cheaper on amazon than than i can buy them for so uh, just uh, uh, fyi that that's your best opportunity to be able to uh, get a copy of of the books and uh, and certainly would encourage you to do that uh, after the first book came out in 2017, in February of 2018, uh, we held the first ever Technicolor multi-ethnic church conference. And the entire purpose of that conference was to be able to bring people uh, from across America together to talk about transitioning churches to multicultural ministry models. And uh, uh, we got a, we had a great response. We had 200 people from 15 different states that attended in 2018. Uh, And I had several people tell me uh, at that conference, uh, I wish this had been available to me 20 years ago Mm. uh, as I began to see transition in my community. Well, uh, we decided we need to be uh, uh, mindful of that if God has provided us information and opportunity, then we're stewards of that to be able to share it with others. So we got another conference coming up February the 28th, uh, 2022. We've got a great lineup of plenary speakers. Uh, Mark DeMaz, uh, uh, the founder of Mosaics, uh, the Multicultural uh, Church Conference. Uh, George Yancey, uh, professor of sociology at Baylor University and probably the leading voice on racial issues among Southern Baptist life in particular. Noe Garcia, who's a multicultural church practitioner, pastor of North Phoenix Baptist Church in Phoenix, Arizona, and has done a great job, former vice president of the Southern Baptist Convention, and myself as the plenary speakers. And then we'll have breakout sessions and have people from the North American Mission Board, possibly people from IMB, and people from the Georgia Baptist Mission Board who will lead in those breakout sessions. So I want to really encourage you to be here. And uh, I've got a a special for any of your listeners today, Scott. Uh, We've got a podcast code, listener code, If you'll put in GBCD, Georgia Baptist Convention Discipleship, 20, you can get $20 off. So uh, uh, go online, technicolorconference.com, and type in the coupon code, GBCD20, get $20 off. It'll give you the lowest possible price for the conference. I think we're at $79 right now for the December special. It'll give you the one-day conference for $59 if you use that code
1: absolutely Atlanta will make sure that I my registration is in there Ray will make sure we get that that code into the chats and uh, also um, we'll get a a flyer that we'll drop in the chats as well so um, man Mark so good to have you and, and friends I want you to lean in for just a moment because the Lord taught me something over the holiday break um, and that's one of the things I do when I when I get away for a holiday is Man, I rest, I spend time with family, I hunt, I love to do that. And I was talking with a guy and he made a statement. He said, people only change for one of two reasons. They will change because they want to or because they need to. And leaders on this issue, we must be willing to shift our mindset for the glory of God and the inclusion of all the taithene, of all of the people groups that God's called us to reach. I believe there are two issues in the church that we must handle well in the next five years, or we will have no credibility in society. Number one, you're gonna have to have an intentional plan to disciple your people. Is it memorable enough for them to replicate? And is it simple enough for them to be sustainable? And the second one is this issue of diversity and multiculturalism within the church. We have got to find answers. And if we fail to either of these, God help us. And as Mark writes in the book, this is our Rubicon. This is our moment of decision where there is no going back. We must prayerfully find solutions that are sustainable and Christ honoring. Mark Hearn, love you, buddy. Pastor of First Baptist Duluth and my new favorite author. Thank you for joining me today.
2: Thank you, Scott. Appreciate the opportunity to be here. want to make myself available to any of the folks who... Uh, want to reach out to me, Mhearn at DuluthBaptist.com. Uh, feel free to reach out to me. I'll be glad to touch base with
1: you. Fantastic. And I know that Todd, your family and a young, uh, teenager minister, he'll be glad to help as well. Lanham, melton uh, is going to make sure that we get everything uh, coordinated and all of the links dropped in there ray sullivan thank you for producing today i want to remind our listeners the only reason we're able to do this is because you give to the cooperative program so thank you for doing that and i pray that today's discussion with mark hearn will equip you with new tools and big inspiration to reach all the world not just the ones that look and sound like you and then we can get serious about making world impacting disciple makers Thanks for listening. We want to
0: continue the conversation from today's broadcast in a learning community near you. These learning communities are designed to celebrate your biggest wins, resource your greatest need, and help you finish well. We also want to give you a free gift, the five discipleship shifts most churches need to make to produce world-impacting disciple makers. You can download this resource by going to ministryboom.com. This five-page PDF is a discipleship alignment checklist. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board is able to provide resources like this because of gifts from Georgia Baptists to the cooperative program. For more information on this broadcast and a customized discipleship plan for your church, visit gabaptist.org discipleship. Engage with us on your time through Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and all podcast platforms. Lastly, if you've benefited from this conversation today, please share this with a friend as we seek to help churches make world-impacting disciple names.